The Everything Apartments podcast is provided with support from the Apartment Association of Greater Los Angeles, better known as AGLA, serving residential landlords throughout Southern California through education and advocacy. Visit aagla.org. Welcome to the Everything Apartments podcast. I'm your host, Eric Christopher, and on this podcast, we cover all topics of multifamily investments from buying and financing properties, day-to-day operations and management, and also reinvestment strategies. This is episode 24 of the podcast, so don't forget we have 23 back episodes, and I encourage you to scroll back in whatever podcast platform you're using and take a listen as we have some great guests like we do today covering a variety of topics around multifamily housing. Short-term rentals, which we commonly associate with Airbnb and VRBO, have been quite a game-changer in residential real estate for some years now. I'm sure most of us have enjoyed traveling and using some of these types of properties like I do. I'd much rather stay in one of those than a hotel at this point. But we see more and more apartment owners starting to incorporate that model into their properties. The income upside is definitely there, but it does come with a little heavier management responsibility. We have a great guest to talk with today, but first I'll tell you about our firm, WSC Realty Advisors and WSC Property Management. WSC has been helping buyers and sellers and managing properties in Long Beach for over 16 years now. If you're tired of managing your units or just not getting the results you want, we can help. WSC never wants to be the biggest firm in Long Beach. Instead, we stay smaller and more agile to bring you the quality you want. We can also help you if you're looking to acquire more units or maybe set up a a 1031 exchange scenario to move out of state or to a single tenant net leased investment, which is kind of popular for retirement, visit wsc-pm.com, call, text, or email us. All of that information is in the show notes and mention the Everything Apartments podcast and get your first two months of management absolutely free. Whatever your challenge with your property, WSC has the solution. Today, we have with us Alex Jarbo, founder of Sargon Investments, Alex is a short-term rental developer, manager, and also does syndication with the short-term model. Alex is a U.S. Marine veteran. Again, thank you for your service. And holds an MBA in real estate development. And his company goal is to develop 650 short-term rental cabins in the next three years. Alex has a great YouTube channel called Alex Builds. I've really enjoyed exploring that. And I think anybody interested in real estate would also enjoy it. Today, we'll talk to Alex about this interesting model and maybe provide some hints as to how apartment owners can capitalize on this income potential. Alex, it's great to have you with us today. Oh, thanks for having me on, man. Great. So like I mentioned here just a second ago, I got a chance to really kind of explore who you were with, with your YouTube channel and uh, watched a great interview that I'll, when we get near the end, we'll remind the listeners of the YouTube channel. Here's a, the upside in short term on its face looks to be basically a better cap rate compared to a permanent rental mark. And just in our little neck of the woods, I did some checking on Airbnb yesterday and today. I'm in a section of Long Beach, which is, you know, kind of like the, arguably the nicest area, kind of a vacation place where people would spend time, Belmont Shore, and a one-bedroom, one-bath apartment unit here. If it's decked out to the nines in this neighborhood, it's probably at this point around 2000 bucks a month. And when I surveyed the limited inventory of Airbnb or VRBO stuff in the same area, I'm looking at nightly rental rates of like 150 to 220 bucks. So kind of rough, easy math on that. It's like a $6,000 potential income versus the two, three times, or if you want to 
turn around, look at the break even, it's only 10 days uh, per yes. month. Does that kind of line up with what you see on your side of the country as the, the ratio of permanent to short term? Yeah. And I mean, every area is going to be different. I mean, that's that's phenomenal. I mean, that's a that's a just looking at basic numbers. That's a phenomenal market to be in uh, if you're doing the short term rental stuff. The last six years, I've, I've gravitated more towards mountain markets. I currently live in Asheville, North Carolina, sort of focused in the Western North Carolina area. And I realized that the type of properties we develop are a little bit less seasonal. And I mean, market is more important than the actual property that's in general. Um, across any type of real estate class you, you're a part of, market is more important than property. But we also like to focus on developing unique cabins or unique type of properties. All of our properties right now are permanent foundation stick built houses. So we're not doing like tiny houses on wheels or like yurts or glamping. It's like our exits built in if we ever do decide to sell those properties again. The unique properties is is what I've been focused on, like the log cabins, the A-frames, the chalets, the cottages. We're playing around with tree houses right now, but those even tend to bring even a higher night like nightly rate. Like we have a 800 square foot cabin. Um, that was actually our very first one, our A-frame. Last year, it netted after debt service was like $46,000 in the year. So that's just one. That That's sort of the, the, the first one's so, sort of the example I like to give when it comes to just, I guess, how to get started or just numbers in general. No, understood. And that's that's the key. I mean, we're obviously kind of in a different scenario over here. And we're talking to owners that have had perm rentals like I manage for them. And they've had the same business model forever and ever. And with the, the increase in just government fees and cost of doing business, always increasing, never, never decreasing. And looking at alternate means to increase your net is a really great idea that I think is almost a necessity at this point. And I really liked your interview that I saw yesterday with that fellow, Whitney Sewell. And Absolutely. It was, yeah, it was, re it was really great. Um, that was a, a really good snapshot of, of what you do and how you do it. And it was really kind of interesting. I had the question that was actually answered in there. It's interesting. You underwrite your properties as they would be permanent rental yeah. properties yeah, yeah. versus the underwriting. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. And we, I, I will say, so the, yeah, that podcast was done earlier this year. We have tweaked that slightly, but the, yeah, we do do that. That's the first thing is, yeah, I mean, just with any type of business you're in, you always think of exit in mind, right? I mean, multifamily people, real estate people, we, I mean, when you're, when you're bringing on investors, that's sort of the first thing. It's like, okay, how long are we married to each other for? I like to underwrite them as long-term rentals. Um, it was a little difficult to do six, eight months ago. Um, it's getting better now. Um, especially with higher interest rates, like we're we're finding that trades people are calling us compared to the other way around. So yeah, we we underwrite them as long term rentals, and then you, outside of that, you want to figure out some sort of break even number. Like I like to stick within a thirty to forty two percent break even analysis um, when it comes to like after debt service and everything like that. So uh, expound on that just a little. So when you say thirty to what do you say thirty two to forty? Yeah, um, th thirty thirty to four. I don't like to get over forty two percent. Um, that's just me being, or like say forty percent just to put a round number on it. But um, the highest I've gotten was 42%. And it's essentially just taking your average. So you figure out what your property is going to make. And then you um, figure out, uh, so like your average daily rate, and then exactly what you just said in the beginning about mm -hmm. your 10, your 10 days would have been your break even very similar to that. That comes just from the hotel world. Because when I first started and in, in developing these larger projects, this stuff didn't exist. It's like I had to learn either from the multifamily world or from the hospitality hotel world. Yeah, yeah you're you're kind of you're kind of pioneering a, a numeric model for yourself because there wasn't right. a benchmark for you to use. Now in this changing market, for example, when we see interest rates rising like we are, 
And it's, yep. it's always interesting, I found since I started in the business, whatever the status quo is, everyone gets used to it. For example, out here in, in the LA market, during the period before the Great Recession and certainly up to where we're at now, vacancy, let's say it's, it's negligible here at Long Beach. Right. I mean, I really have run under 1% for like the last seven or eight years. So whatever the change is to that feels like the sky is falling. So we see right. interest rates rising in, in the Long Beach apartments I deal in. We haven't yet seen a major unwinding of cap rates, but we have seen transaction volume slowing down. Now I'm sure we're there to see some unwind of cap rates. Certainly I feel that will be the trend next year as rates are gonna continue to move. How do you think that affects the short-term market vis-a-vis the the perm as far as uh returns yeah i I mean i always tell people so i'm a i write for bigger pockets uh short-term rental content i'm almost exclusively their short-term rental writer and that was one of the very first articles i wrote for them when the interest rate went from what three percent to four percent or whatever and people thought the sky was falling i and the the thing i said in that article was you need to be underwriting your property don't don't do not do not neglect or push away investing just because of what's happening in the market. Um, we just got a deal that just came across my desk that we just got under contract last week that if I was like too terrified to act on it because of higher interest rates, and this was before the recent interest rate hike that just happened, then the numbers still worked out. So what I said in that article was you need, you need to be, no matter what type of real estate asset you're in, don't discount real estate investing just because we were in higher interest rates. And being on social media is going to scare you. What I've realized is just being on social media is going to scare you more when it comes to stuff like that. Because that we you start getting quotes and from this time, this time frame, we're in the highest, blah, blah, blah. I remember one of the um one of my investors, um, I had I had reached out to him after the recent interest rate hike and we hadn't secured the financing yet. And I was like, do you still feel comfortable with going through this project? We can we can hold off on it for now because we, we purchase our land cash and we just sit on it essentially until we're ready for the financing. And he's like, I, he's like, I, I purchased my first investment in the 80s when interest rates were 14 percent. So it, it's it's the same type of mentality there is you, you want to be underwriting your projects for us. Like I said, I like to invest in mountain markets and with with the recent recession or with with the correction that we're going through right now. I I I was saying this even 3 4 years ago that I truly believe that like you need to be investing in unique properties where the property is an experience in itself outside of the city that the guest is visiting. And I like to say Instagrammable properties and I've talked to some people that don't like it when I say that because it's not quantifiable. Mm. It could be quantifiable if you look at average daily rates versus a unique property versus say like a whatever, like a normal single family house, but what, like, what is the definition of unique and what is the definition of the normal single family house? But I like to say if, if I was comfortable and proud to put my property on my own social media, if I was staying at it, that that's what I consider Instagrammable. No, I like the term. It, it's, it's got kind of a touchy feely uh, aspect to it, yeah. but all you have to do is kind of picture the last time as a traveler, what what impressed you about the short term you stayed at? I mean, for me, I went to Europe with my dad. We stayed in yeah. all short terms. And all I did when we when I set it up was I looked for the, the, the center of town where the most bars and restaurants were, and I picked the closest short term. Yeah. But you you've got a great point that would apply to Long Beach owners is when I look at the the offerings that are out there on the two platforms, 
there's a there's a section of town that basically has them all clustered that's close to the water yep. you're going to get the location aspect not so much in the middle part of town so not every property is compatible with short term whatever you can do like you're saying instagrammable or a unique experience in inside or outside cuz like if we're mm -hmm. talking about outside of development we we purchase properties that are already short term rentals as well that has some room for like future development um, but we we tend to like for properties that are already built that don't really have curb appeal. We like to go in there and do some interior design stuff, make some colors pop, maybe do some accent walls, maybe some indoor murals as well. Um, so inside and outside, you can make the property pop. No, that 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 is super cool because there's there's always little things you can do, and then. When the guests get there, like you're saying, you were talking about the approach to your properties and maybe for where you're at, how, you know, what's the longest distance you'd want and, and right. all those aspects. And, and out here, it just may be location, obviously, the curb appeal. I mean, in a in a tougher area, and I've seen this happen with perm rentals, is guys will go in, they'll dress up the inside of the unit to the nines where anybody would live inside the space. But you walk outside and you go, wait, I don't want to be in this neighborhood after dark. Right. Um, right. Same thing here where when you pull up the thing and it's and it's cool because we can all a lot of the apartment owners that I work with and myself included, like we don't live in our building. But with this this type of rental, certainly like probably almost everybody at this point has been to at least one and you right. roll up to the thing and you're you're either like sort of immediately impressed or you're just like, OK, well, it should be OK. Like, that was that difference. wasn't in the picture. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. That is exactly a little bit like internet dating, right? The pictures right. never seemed to the curb appeal and the amenities, but the, you know, like everything else, location trumps everything. Um, so government overreach, we were talking a little earlier here in California is, is on a scale from what I've talked to different people across the country. It's, it, it's off the, it's off the Richter scale. And during the COVID period, we, we saw even more of that. And applying that not just to apartment rental, but to the short-term market. I have a, a really good friend with a beautiful house in Palm Springs. He was making some great returns with short-term rentals because he was close enough to Coachella. You know, you, you have two or three or maybe four big events there per year, and he was just rolling in, in returns. And then one day with the swipe of a pen, city of Palm Springs came through and said, here's what you can do and here's what you can't do. And I didn't really get into the specifics, but I know he lost a, a great windfall from the Coachella rentals. Question is, you know, I know we're in different areas in different parts of yeah. the country, but what's your read most lately kind of, if you have one that would dictate a trend, what's the government doing with short-term rentals? Is it getting tougher? Is it sort of uh, status quo or is it getting easier? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, yeah, that's going to be different for everywhere because I feel like anytime I hop into Google, like my algorithm tells me a new city just bans something, but I don't know, like the thousands of other cities. So what, I, so the, the city that I currently operate in or the county that I currently operate in Asheville, North Carolina itself does not same exact same thing happened two years ago. The city does not allow for short-term rentals. When I first started, I, what I could afford was in the county. I couldn't be close to the city. That actually helped us during COVID. We're like, most of our properties are 15 to 25 minutes into downtown. And a lot of people are comfortable. A lot of people drive into the city anyways, sort of the center of the East Coast that during COVID people got pushed out from the metro cities into more rural areas. And that helped us. And that wasn't our strategy prior to COVID, right? But people are more comfortable driving like off the beaten path a little bit uh, if they can have a more unique stay. If if you're in a drive-in city. For your listeners, what I, I anytime I hop on a um, a short-term rental or a, a multifamily podcast like 
What I always recommend doing is, and I, I have some friends that do this that are in the multifamily space. They have taken, say, like a building or like if it's a piece of their multifamily business or maybe just their entire building, if it's that's their only multifamily business, is they've converted the whole thing into short-term rentals. The way they have skirted the short-term rental laws in their city is by getting a hotel license. Mm. And that that's huge. Um, again, every city is going to be different, but I have a couple friends that I have done that taken their multifamily units and converted them into essentially boutique hotels. Like there, there's no person on staff, like on the property. It's just, everything's done through e-locks and everything is automated. Uh, that's an interesting suggestion. No, that, yeah. that, that seems like it'd be great. And then each locality is going to have different rules around that. Now right. let's take a minute and compare short-term rental platforms to rideshare platform. And many of us, including myself right here in my neighborhood, seen like a radically different pricing model and availability over, let's say, the last three or four years to just get a ride across town. For example, it used to cost me like eight bucks to get to my favorite watering hole, and now it costs 14 to 16. Yeah. So how have the short-term platforms changed over the last three or four years? Is there higher fees? Is yeah. there other things that have constrained you? Like, tell me a little bit about how the platforms are treating me these days. Yeah, it's very, It's I love this question because it's, it's very interesting. So Airbnb, VRBO existed prior to the 2008-9 recession, but Airbnb started in 2008. I think Uber started in 2008. And I forgot when Lyft started. Um, I'm currently finishing up a doctorate uh, in leadership and business. And my dissertation is on the sharing economy. And that that's the, that what we're talking about is encompassing the sharing economy. Mm -hmm. A lot of these companies have not gone through an intense recession. I'm not even going to say correction, like a pretty intense recession. So it's going to be interesting to see how like when gas prices went up, I know Uber added a little fee, just like a gas fee on top of their fees that they were already charging. So it's it's interesting, like these these companies that have books have already I mean, we just came out of the biggest bull market our country's ever had. And a lot of these companies that exist right now in the sharing platform space, they didn't they haven't gone through this crazy, a crazy recession or correction yet. So and I, what I see on the short term rental side, you're right, it's it's there's a lot more fees. You see it constantly on social media that people are complaining about, OK, I thought it was going to be one hundred and twenty dollars to book this property. And now after cleaning fees, processing fees, taxes, it's two sixty. That's like literally more than double. So what I've always said to that is it, it's almost gone full circle. Where prior to Airbnb, prior to getting on the internet and booking something, you had to pick up a phone or you had to go through a real estate agent to book a short-term rental. This is back in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, early 2000s. And it's it's sort of coming full circle now where a big portion of my business still comes from Airbnb and VRBO. But we in the last six months, we've really shifted on focus, uh, focusing on like direct booking. So... Mm -hmm building out our own website and getting getting people through that website. My favorite tool for that is so uh, is, is a company called Stayfy and it's it's a little disk that plugs on plugs into the back of a router. And what that it, it what it does is it creates a landing page for your internet. So people have to put their email address in prior to logging into the internet. I've never out of the thousand something guests I've hosted this year, I've never had an issue with it mm. um in terms of like guests complaining about it. And then that way, once we get them on, uh, uh, um, they'll book through Airbnb, VRBO, stay in our property, we'll get their email, we then remarket to them through our own direct booking platform. So that's, uh, to answer your question about higher fees, yeah, it's it's definitely, it has gotten worse in the last three, four years. And the Airbnb is just like any other type of search algorithm, anything, they have changed their website in the last three or four years, as of recent, uh, like, the most recent big change was this summer where they completely redesigned the website. Um, and a lot of a lot of hosts were sort of let 
like they had screwed a couple things up and um at least in my opinion they had screwed a couple things up where people just saw a tank in their bookings for a couple months your business should never live on any specific platform and that that is that is including airbnb vrbo property rentals in general right no i totally understand i think for a lot of owners here in long beach and this town's made up uh the bell curve would be six to 16 units right we're kind of an urban infill situation through the 20s and 30s was one box and then the 60s and the 80s so it's not where i don't think a lot of traditional apartment owners are going to take their building full full airbnb but like my partners and i right now are considering cutting off one unit and turn it into that particular model and certainly you know if you're relying on Two two big platforms. It's sort of like the same as Uber and Lyft. You know, you're at some point you're at their mercy and, and whatever software glitches they have or whatever things they want to push through to you, uh, you're just along for the ride at that point. Absolutely. And it, I mean it's happened with people on the online because I'm I'm pretty plugged into the online marketing space. I have a lot of friends in the direct response marketing world. When Google changed their algorithm whatever time ago, I mean a lot of people got hurt like on the ads and stuff. So it's the same thing there. It's like you want to work on building your own list. Yeah, that sounds like a natural, right? You're you're basically going through the gauntlet of of the platforms while you're young or whatever you're, you know, early on and and certainly organically building your own your own database is a no-brainer. So, we going back into the the just the rough model I mentioned at the open about the one bedroom, one bath, where it's 2000 perm, 6000 on the short term. So, you do have some wiggle room with some fees and, and everything else. So my firm manages all perm apartment buildings here in Long Beach or close by it. And the owners typically pay a fee to a manager or something like five to 6% of gross rents on a month to month. And the, the day-to-day month to month is pretty routine, right? You know, you got a, a extraordinary repair here or there, pretty routine. What's the major difference in let's say management responsibility in your short-term world versus the perm world. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're just going to get, you're getting, you have more people coming in and out of the property. That's when people get scared a little bit, but it's not a bad thing because you can automate most of those things. So like most of our messaging is automated. We don't necessarily have a boots on the ground manager, like a COO to manage all of our properties because our cleaning company is at the properties at least twice a week. So they're going to find anything that goes wrong with anything. If a guest decided to punch a hole in a wall or something, they're going to want, they're going to be the ones who are going to take a picture and send it to we have virtual assistants that handle our our messaging that can't be handled by the automated messaging and our virtual assistants are sourced directly from airbnb like their ex airbnb support agents essentially you have you have more people coming in and out but i i say that the property is taken care of better because you have a cleaning company going through at least twice a week cleaning the property. Your long-term tenant's not going to be doing that. Obviously, that would be the first thing that comes to mind is you you, you have turnover, so you're you're investing. But the from what my experience when I go to these places is is the tenants paying a cleaning fee. So yep. typically, that's a a wash on your P and L. Yeah. And then we we actually like to add about ten to fifteen dollars on the cleaning fee to take care of our inventory as well. Oh, so there you like, go for the consumables. Yeah. Okay. Yep, yeah, for the consumables. Yep. Yeah. So let's talk about as we get kind of close to the end here, how apartment owners and you mentioned a lot of your investors are sourced from California. I'm sure there's going to be a couple people that are listening to today that are, are intrigued and maybe want to allocate some capital outside of what they've 
been doing. Tell me about that. But before, you know, my little dime disclaimer is, is since I'm not a registered representative, nothing we talk about here is a solicitation of any kind. It's purely informational. It does seem like something that a lot of people would, would enjoy. So, so tell me about the syndication side and how somebody that's listening today that's going, hey, I'd like to export capital out of state. And it sounds like a great business model. How does that how does that work? Yeah, yeah. So what I did was um, I really sat down the last year and figured out what I'm really good at. Um, and I'm good at raising capital, but I've realized so like if you guys are just interested in seeing what I do, YouTube channel, that's where all my stuff lives. Like you mentioned, um, if you guys want to invest with us, um, you guys can go over to sargoninvestments.com. And that's where all of our um I started with just JV models. Initially, I did four JVs with no syndications. And then right now I've teamed up with three short-term rental funds, one out of Michigan, one out of New York, and one out of LA. And those are the, any investors that come through my website, I just push them through to, to the people that they have the support and everything, those fund managers. But every single deal is different. It's like we, we do offer, all the funds offer some sort of preferred return. Uh, to the investors and some sort of equity split outside of that. So like I said, when I first started, everything was pulled from multifamily investing books and coaches and stuff. So um, I was like, how can I apply what I'm learning here on the sh on the multifamily stuff to short-term rentals? Um, and it's it's been a very easy, and what that's also helped with, it's been a very easy uh, transition to have with like multifamily investors because they already understand the model that we're using. It's just a different real estate class. It's like when a lot of people went from multifamily to mobile home parks is what I saw. And then now they're sort of moving into self-storage. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's the same thing. It's it's the exact same thing. Yeah, definitely. I mean, once you have a, a, a bearing, let's say you've, you've got your mind around the numbers on a multifamily, it obviously makes deviations from a little different product type uh, way easier than if you just uh, hadn't, you know, had that frame of reference. So I'll tell you what, do this for me because you're going to do it a lot better than I am is tell people how they can get more information about you, how they can contact you with questions, all of that stuff. Go right ahead. Yeah. So uh, my my personal site is alexjarbo.com, A-L-E-X-J-A-R-B-O.com. Uh, That's where all my, my YouTube channel, my interviews, um, I actually just put a real estate short-term rental development course together as well for people who are looking to do that themselves. I know a big part of your audience doesn't want to do it themselves. But if they're looking to do it themselves, uh, that course lives there as well. And then, yeah, sargoninvestments.com uh, is is just like my investing company. Um, that's And that's the website for it. Um, there's an invest now button. You can self-accredit yourself specifically, like just through the platform. And then I'll get the email and then we can I can reach out. Someone from my team can reach out and we can schedule a call together. Really great. And then you'd mentioned you're a frequent columnist on Bigger Pockets as well. Yeah, so I push out. I, I like to at least... Once every two weeks, a short-term rental article gets pushed out with my name on it. So like Bigger Pockets is really good with talking about the the big picture of real estate. And I, I try to take that big picture stuff and just apply it to short-term rentals. So it's like, okay, we're going through a correction. What is What do these markets look like? Or what is the market? I was like, okay, what is the market? Exactly what we just talked about. It's like, what does the market look like in a recession with short-term rentals? So I just I just take the big big stuff that they publish and just apply it to short-term rentals for them. Watched a handful of those YouTube videos. And I really think, no matter who you are, if you're interested in real estate, you're you're going to enjoy those videos. So certainly for any owners out there in a lot of areas, the short-term rental model would be viable. Obviously, one size does not fit all, but definitely has some upside to it. Check out Alex's content and where he just mentioned and get a hold of him if you're more curious about it. And Alex, I really appreciate having you with us today. Oh, thank you for having me on, sir.
Thank you for listening to the Everything Apartments podcast. I'm your host, Eric Christopher. Stay tuned for another episode coming soon.